0: What does it mean to live a Spirit-filled life? Depending on the Christian groups or denominations you're a part of, this may or may not be something that you have heard of. But God tells us that as Christians, we need to be living by the Spirit or walking after the Spirit in contrast to living or walking after our sinful and self-serving flesh, or self-serving and sinful human nature. What we live after is going to determine the condition of our lives, that of our families, and ultimately our final destination, whether Jesus returns or whether we meet him in death. In this video and episode, we're going to begin discussing the benefits of living a spirit-filled life. And in the second part of this episode, we're going to talk about how to live a spirit-filled life. If this is the first time we're meeting, my name is Chris, and this is Foundation Bible Studies, where I seek to help connect you with your Creator in Jesus Christ, both informationally and experientially, so you can find the significance and purpose that you were created for. Now, most definitely trying to live for God at times can be a frustrating thing, especially if we're not spirit-filled. I've lived on both sides of the tracks, so to say. I've tried to live as a Christian without being spirit-filled in my younger years, and it was very frustrating because I would start off with a lot of zeal, a lot of desire. Uh, Desire for God to help me usually in my situation, only for the desire and the zeal and the passion to wear off. And then I was going right back to the things that I used to do, which was clubbing, talking to girls, just living life as our world says is okay. But once I was Spirit-filled and baptized in Jesus' name, however, my whole life began to change. And since the end of 2009 when I was baptized in Jesus' name, the Lord Jesus has helped me to stay consistent, to be faithful, but he has also continued to help me develop my passion and my desire for his kingdom for the things he is interested in and to seek to help those around me understand and encourage them to pursue God on an individual basis, which helps us as a collective basis. And from there, since 2012, 2013, I have been serving in ministry in my first and present church. With God's help, I have continue to grow, mature in understanding and seek to help those around me so we can work as a team and they can fulfill the purpose that God has created them for. Now with that, let's get into point number one of the benefit of living a spirit-filled life. So point number one of living a spirit-filled life, and I'm sure there are numerous benefits to living a spirit-filled life, but these are the five that Came to mind as I was praying and meditating on this topic. Point number one is a direct relationship with, and I meant to put backslash to God. Now, one place we're going to look at is the Gospel of John or the Apostle John's Gospel. And if you haven't checked out the other videos in this series talking about the importance or the significance of sin in our lives and how it separates us and all the effects that it has. I want to encourage you to go back, check that out, and follow through to the series once you get in and follow it up to get back to this video. So that way you can have a solid, well-rounded picture of the topics discussed. I will put them in a playlist and I will link it down below. As well as any other videos I reference, I will link them down below in the description as well. Whether you're here on YouTube or whether you're listening on the audio, version on spotify or apple podcast so here we start with the gospel of john and one of the things benefit number one is having a relationship with and to god when the nature and condition of sin entered into the human into our human genome our human bodies through adam and eve our human nature became sinful or what we might say in biblical terminology a state of uncleanness now when we talk about states of uncleanness, the clearest thing we can definitely understand now in hindsight is COVID. When COVID was fresh, when it was brand new for the first two years or three years, perhaps 2020, 2021, even into 2022, when people had COVID, we, are, we didn't wanna be around them. We, If people weren't wearing masks, we didn't wanna be around them. We didn't want to put ourselves at risk or perhaps we had loved ones that had very sensitive medical situations. Now when it comes to God, God is pure, he is perfect and just by his very nature, his nature of perfection and purity it would actually consume us. It would destroy us just as much as a fire would consume paper or wood or anything that is flammable. And so the nature and condition of sin within us it creates a separation and because adam and eve followed lucifer's input and his his deceptive words and his innuendos it created it disinherited us it separated us from god we no longer were directly connected to him as the human race and so When we get to the gospel of John, John is telling us part of another aspect of Jesus's mission going hand in hand with the other three gospels, which are called the synoptic gospels or the gospels that mirror each other very closely. So in the gospel of John, chapter one, starting in verse 10, it says he was in the world talking about our creator. Our creator had came into our world. He came down on our level, in the person of Jesus Christ. He was in the world, and the world was created through him, yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and he's talking about the, the writer John. He's talking about the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel was in covenant with God. God was in covenant with the nation of Israel, and that is who he is referencing here. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God. So the what is being inferred here is that everybody is not a child of God and there is a principle behind that phrase and concept, child of God. Yes, we were all created by God, but we do not have his same complete and perfect nature to be a child of God, much like the angels are called the sons of God, the angels that remain faithful to God. The children of God are those who partake or who share his nature and share his perspective and his ideals and his values. So we are talking about his nature in regards to his supernatural nature, his extra dimensional nature, his nature of purity and perfection. God is a spirit and John tells us this. Or Jesus tells us this in John chapter 4, verse 24, as he's talking to a Samaritan woman. Jesus tells the woman, he says, God is a spirit. And those that worship him, those that worship God must worship him in spirit, in the supernatural, in this extra dimensional aspect. Those who God is a spirit, God is supernatural. And those who worship him must worship him in the supernatural and in truth must worship him in spirit and in truth. And we are told later in John's gospel, another saying of Jesus, another teaching, it was actually part of his prayer. In John chapter 17, Jesus says, set Jesus's disciples apart. He says, set them apart by your truth. Your word is truth. God's word is infallibly true. Every aspect of it is true. It is, as much as our world says that uh there's so much that is relative god's word is not relative it is very direct it is objective that means just like gravity gravity uh, unless you have something else like a place of no gravity gravity is objective here on earth it's an objective truth so here in john chapter 1 in verses 10 through 13 again it says he gave them the right to be children of God continuing on to those who believe in his name now believing is a much deeper concept than accepting the idea of something believing means you're dependent upon that person that means you are taking what they say and you're implementing it in your life because you believe what they're saying so he gave them the right to be children of God to those who believe in his name who were born not of blood this is Going back to that point of we are not all children of God, we are God's creation, but we have been separated from God because of the nature of sin within our human bodies, not of blood or of the will of the flesh. Talking about by human means, just because we're born into a Christian family, just because we're born into a Jewish family, a Catholic family does not make us children of God. So not of blood or of the will of the flesh or the will of man. So John is making sure to hit all these points that there's nothing that man can do, that humans can do of our own action. There's no action we can take to become children of God, but of God. The only way to become children of God is by following God's directions on what he says it takes to become children of God. So benefit number one is to have a relationship with with and to God. And here we get to see that it's nothing we can do. It's no, it doesn't matter what family we're born into, what heritage, no matter if you're a royal family, there's nothing that we can humanly do to become children of God on our own efforts. That's probably the phrase I was looking for. There's nothing to do, nothing we can do of our own efforts that we can become children of God but Jesus Christ, he does tell us or he does inform us and specifically informs a man named Nicodemus, a religious ruler of the Jewish people of his time. And he tells him what it takes to become children of God. And so in the third chapter of John's gospel, starting in verse one, we get to have a greater understanding, a clearer picture in part of what it means to be a child of God, what it takes to become a child of God. There was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one could perform the signs you do unless God were with him. Jesus replied, I assure you, unless someone is born again, unless you are reborn, we were, were, we were born into this life the first time through our parents. But Jesus is saying we have to go through a process of being reborn. So Jesus says, I assure you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see. He cannot see the kingdom of God. But how can anyone be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked him. Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? So Nicodemus is saying, what is the process that I need to go through to be born again, to be reborn. He's saying, how, you know, can I, do I have to get in my mom's womb again? Because that's the only way you can be born into this life. Aside from Jewish conceptions of being born again. In verse 5 through 8, it says, Jesus answered, I assure you, unless someone is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh. Goes back to what we read in the first chapter. It's not by the will of man, it's not by blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So whatever is born of the flesh is flesh. We just keep reproducing sinful humans, corrupted humans, and it's just like a genetic disorder. We just pass it down, unfortunately, from generation to generation. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. Whatever is born of the supernatural is is now connected to God through the supernatural. Whatever's born of the spirit is spirit. Whatever's born of the supernatural presence of God is now part of that supernatural presence of God or is connected to God's supernatural presence. Verse seven, do not be amazed that I told you you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases and you hear it sound, but you don't know where it comes or where it is going. So it is. With everyone born of the Spirit. So, Jesus is saying there is a unified sign that takes place whenever someone is born of the Spirit. But the major point here is that by living a spirit filled life, by being spirit filled, and as I said, any videos reference, any lessons reference, I'll link down below in the description. And I have a video on that, a lesson on that talking about what it means to be Spirit-filled, to be born again of the Spirit. But Jesus himself says that we have to be born again of water and Spirit. And when we are born again of the Spirit, we are directly connected to God himself. We are now one of his born again, or another way it's phrased later in one of the, or a few of the epistles, the letters, is that we have now been adopted into God's family. So benefit number two of living a spirit-filled life is gaining understanding from God. One of the big frustrations with living as a Christian sometimes or living when I was not a spirit-filled Christian, and, and this is an argument I've heard through the years, is why are there so many different denominations and Christian groups? And that can be more deeply explored in another video if that's something you would like to hear or see. You can let me know in the comments. But when we talk about why, a lot of it is because we are depending upon our own understanding. And God tells us in the book of Proverbs, in Proverbs chapter three, verse five, he says, do not depend on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge God and he will direct your path. And so one of the benefits is that God Himself? Once we have been spirit filled, baptized in the Holy Spirit, baptized with the Holy Ghost, whatever version you're you're used to reading, once we have been spirit filled, we can now get direct understanding of God's Word from God Himself, and we'll get into it. In the letter to the Ephesian Christians, or the Christians in the city of Ephesus, uh, in chapter one, starting in verse seventeen, the Apostle Paul says this to these Christians to these born-again Christians. He says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the perception of your mind may be enlightened, so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the glorious riches of his inheritance among the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power to us who believe, according to the working of his vast strength. So the Apostle Paul is saying, he says, I pray that God will give you a spirit of wisdom, that he will reveal some things to you. So as preachers, as teachers, we have the responsibility of preaching and teaching God's word, but it is God who helps us to understand it on the levels that he desires us to. And it takes us being spirit-filled to get the majority of this understanding. There are things that God will help us to understand if we are not spirit-filled, but you are not going to get the full benefit of living for God until you are spirit-filled. Taking this point a little further in the same letter to the Ephesian Christians in chapter 4, this is what Paul says he contrasts living a spirit-filled life versus not living a spirit-filled life when it comes to understanding. And in verse 17, it says, therefore, I say this and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk or live as the Gentiles walk. You should no longer and I'm a that word for walk is a has a metaphorical understanding or aspect to it, which means to live you if you're walking, you're living. So it says you should no longer live as the Gentiles live and the futility of their thoughts. God cares about what's going on between our two ears, but God cares about what's going on in our mind. They are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. They became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with the desire for more and more. But That is not how you learned about the Messiah, assuming you heard about him and were taught by him. Because the truth is in Jesus. You took off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires. You are being renewed in the spirit of your mind. You put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness and righteousness and purity of the truth. So. Here, Paul, he's writing to these Christians, and he says, you're being renewed in the spirit of your mind. So God is helping us day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year. He is helping us uh, to gain understanding. He is giving us his own personal understanding, his own personal perspective on life, on our situations, on our families, on the world, what's going on with our world, our crazy, chaotic world? He helps you to understand it, and so you get you get understanding. You gain understanding. God grants you understanding. And Paul he also talks about this in multiple places. One place is in the letter to the Corinthians, the first letter to the Corinthians, in First Corinthians chapter two. Paul says that the natural man, our natural brain, cannot understand the things that come from God because God using kind of more pop culture terms. He's an extra dimensional being. He is on of a different dimension, just as much as you are of a different dimension than a 2D being that you create on a piece of paper. You are on a higher dimensional experience and existence than that two-dimensional being you would draw. But God, he is in a similar way on a much higher extra dimensional existence than we are. And so God is able to impart to us. He is able to help us to understand when we are living a spirit filled life, but our natural minds by themselves cannot attain to those higher understandings just as much as you can't understand a person. uh, You can understand their behavior, or I mean, you can watch their behaviors, But you can't really understand what they do and why they do it until they share it with you. And so, God, by his spirit and by his word, by his church, through our pastors, through our evangelists, apostles, prophets, pastors, and teachers, God helps us to understand. And it takes prayerfulness on our part. So, benefit number three of living a spirit filled life is to be strengthened by God. And this is talking about being strengthened when we are emotionally and mentally weakened, when we are exhausted, when our situations are just can be overwhelming us. Me and my family, we go through situations where it can be very overwhelming mentally, emotionally, spiritually, loved ones passing away, financial situations, medical situations, just different things that can wear us out. But benefit number three is that we can be strengthened by God. And so in writing to the Christians in Colossae, one of the things uh, when we are reading these letters written by Paul to these different churches, these different groups of Christians, they were united in their understanding because they had the same teacher. Paul taught them all the same thing. And so here in chapter one of the letter to the Colossians, it says this in verse, starting in verse nine, it says, for this reason, also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you, talking about hearing about their trust in the Lord Jesus. For this reason, also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We, at, we are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Once again, goes back to that point we just talked about, but that's not where we're stopping. So that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. In verse 11, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, his glorious strength for all endurance and patience with Joy and so there, as I said, there are seasons that me and my family go through. Me, my wife, my kids, and it is just taxing. Last year, unfortunately, I had three loved ones in my family pass away. One, unfortunately, after the other. And these were they were older, but it was these are family members I grew up with, and so it was very taxing. And then the previous year, I had somebody that was very close to me pass. But through it all, and staying prayerful. And in my fasting, keeping my humanity humbled and and trying to get my spirit a clear place to connect with God, staying connected to my church family, staying connected with my pastor, praying as a family. God was able and has continued to strengthen me, strengthen us. And as it said, verse 11, that you may be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. So it is God who strengthens us with all power, according to his glorious might, his ability to for us to be able to endure the stuff we're going through and to have patience and to have joy through it all. I'm going through stuff right now and it's, you know, God still gives me joy and it's that joy is it runs deeper than happiness. It's it's something that's really hard to describe, but you have this hope and this Positive outlook, you know, even if things uh so many things crumble around you, God in his way, maybe he's redirecting you, but God will take care of you in the long run, perhaps he's trying to get you out of a situation, whatever it is. so point number three is that you may be strengthened or you can be strengthened by God. One other place where Paul talks about this is yet again in his writing to the Ephesians and Uh, the third chapter of his letter to the ephesians in verse 16 it says i pray that he god i pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power in the inner man talking about your supernatural nature once you are born again of the spirit to be strengthened with power in the inner man through his spirit so yet again paul is saying that He is praying for the believers in Ephesus that they would be strengthened by God's spirit on the inner man, that nature that has been reborn into that individual or into you, into me. Once we have received, once we have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, once we have been filled with the Holy Spirit, our initial infilling. Point number four is that we can be developed or matured by God we can go from being spiritual infants to spiritual school age children so to say to preteens and then to a spiritual adulthood where we would expect people to be solidly mature and well rounded so benefit number 4 is to be developed and matured by God in writing to the Christians in the region of Galatia in the fifth chapter, Paul is trying to encourage them and yet to give them two contrasts of what it looks like to live after the desires of our sinful human nature, our self-serving human nature, our sinful human nature in contrast to a life that is that we're living according to the desires and the passions of God's spirit that he puts into our spirit starting in verse 16 in the fifth chapter of the letter to the galatians it says i say then walk by the spirit or live by the spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh for the flesh our corrupted human nature desires what is against the spirit so it actively rebels against god's spirit and paul talks about this in his letter to the roman believers uh, in Romans chapter 7, for and it, he gets nice in depth with it. But once again, verse 17, for the flesh desires what is against the spirit, and the spirit desires what is against the flesh. So God's spirit and our human nature are warring against each other. These are opposed to each other, so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, if you are guided by God's Spirit, you are not under the law. You are not under its condemnation. You are not under the judgment of the covenant of the law. Because the covenant of the law, which he spells out in either chapter 3 or chapter 4 in his letter to the Galatians, to be under the law means to be under the covenant of the law, the Mosaic covenant, which did not provide forgiveness for many things, as well as it did not provide It did not, God did not provide a place for his spirit to dwell in each and every believer. So once again, I say then walk by the spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the spirit, what is against God. And the spirit, God's spirit, desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works, the things that our human nature wants to do. And hopefully no one person is fulfilling all of these, but it's a a list of how it how sin, how it displays itself through each and every one of us. Now, the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality. Sexuality has morality attached to it in God's perspective, but sexual morality includes adultery, sex outside of marriage, as well as same-sex type things sexual immorality moral impurity promiscuity idolatry sorcery which that word for sorcery comes from the word pharmakia which is where we get the word pharmacy drugs idolatry sorcery hatreds strife jealousy outbursts of anger selfish ambitions dissensions factions or cliques envy drunkenness carousing and anything similar. I tell you about these things in advance, as I told you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, if you're not familiar with the concept, the larger concept of the kingdom of God, uh, I will link a video down below in the description, and you can go and watch that so you will understand what Paul is referencing when he says that those who live according to the flesh will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so here. Paul, he makes the contrast. He says, now the works of the flesh are obvious. And he goes through, he makes this list. And we have to go and we have to see what are things in my life that I find on this list? Perhaps there are some words you got to look up the definitions. Perhaps you have a solid vocabulary and you understand what these different things mean. If that's something you would like a breakdown of, let me know in the comments below. And that's something I can make in the future. But in The bottom of verse 21, he said, I tell you about these things in advance, as I told you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But then he contrasts it with somebody who is living a life that God has the major influence in their life, the predominant influence in their life. Verse 22, he says, but the fruit of the spirit, talking about God's spirit, is love. Now, this is not a love where you get to do whatever you want type love. This is an agape love agape love does what is in your best interest. Agape love from me to you does what's in your best interest. God's agape love for me does what's in my best interest, even when it doesn't feel good, even when it goes against what I want. He does what what I need him to, even if I don't know what that is. So, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, uh, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control, and each one of these can I'll make a video in the future breaking down the fruit of the Spirit. Against such things, there is no law. There's nothing in God's word and typically nothing in human law that stands against these qualities, that stands against these characteristics. There's no law that speaks against love, no law that speaks against joy or being peace, peaceful or being patient or being kind or being good or being... Uh, sometimes there can be some things about against the faith but not in God's word. But in human, human regards, there can be some laws that stand against the faith of God's people. Gentleness and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Now, those who belong to, G- to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, we must also follow the Spirit. Or walk after the Spirit. So when we talk about living a Spirit filled life, it is the development, uh, the maturing of our lives. And part of that is the fruit of the Spirit. There are things in our lives. There are things in my life, in my life that I'm still working on after living for the Lord since 2009, almost 15 years. If I see the end of the year, there are still things that God is working on me. I thank God he's still working on me. But God is maturing us day by day, week by week month by month, year by year. Going back to the letter to the Ephesians and talking about the maturing process specifically, in chapter 4, Paul says this, starting in verse 10, the one who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things, in reference to God coming down in the person of Jesus Christ, and then re-ascending in the person of Jesus Christ, that body. God is always present in all places, but that Focus place of and human life of Jesus Christ, and He personally gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, for the training of the saints in the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ, until we all reach unity in the faith, and in the knowledge of God's Son. So these what we call in in our circles in apostolic Pentecostal circles, we call it the fivefold ministry, and The scripture says, Paul says, that all of these offices, all these five offices are there to help us. Now, if you're missing any of these offices, any of these positions, then we're not getting the full benefit of what God has provided for us. Verse 13 again, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into a mature man, growing into a mature individual with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. So we are being measured up against Jesus Christ himself in regards to our maturity. God is trying to help us to be as mature as possible, growing little by little, week by week, month by month, year by year, until, until he comes back, really, whether we die first or he returns and we're still living. And then benefit number five of living a spirit-filled life is working with God. Now, when we talk about working with God, there are different levels to this part of it. One of the things the Lord helped me with when I was younger in the faith was just learning how to live a life that honored God, learning how to live a life that brought honor to his name, that brought honor to who he is, that showed how good he is and showed his nature and showed his character. That's kind of like working with God 101, obeying his commandments, and and then from that, we get into some of the more supernatural or spiritual aspects of working with God. So in, in Luke chapter 10, the gospel of Luke, Luke's gospel in chapter 10, there was an individual that came and asked Jesus, what does it take to inherit eternal life? What does it take to inherit the world to come, the age to come? And what Jesus, Jesus' response is very Uh, telling for me as I was praying and meditating on this. It says, Just then an expert in the law, talking about God's law, just then an expert in the law stood up to test him, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So this guy, he's looking for, he wants to make it into the time when Jesus establishes God's kingdom on the earth over all the earth. Like I said, check out that video, The Kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? Verse 26, it says, What is written in the law? This is Jesus uh, asking the law expert. What is written in the law? He asked him, how do you read it? Verse 27, he answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. You answered correctly, he told him. This is what Jesus' response was. You answered correctly. Do this and you will live. And so in working with God, Jesus said, do this and you will live. So Jesus is saying, working with me in order to, one, get the reward, but in order to accomplish what I want to accomplish in the world, is you doing what God has already commanded us to do. Specifically as Christians, uh, for Jews, they are, they have relegated themselves to staying under the old covenant versus the new covenant that Jeremiah, that God told Jeremiah was going to come, and that Jesus as the Messiah instituted. And so, just by doing what God has commanded us, we are working with God. And that's one of the benefits of living a spirit filled life is working with God. And then, the last place that came to mind in talking about working with God, it goes hand in hand with what we just read. In Matthew's Gospel in chapter 5 verses 14 through 16 it says this this is Jesus teaching again it says you are the light of the world a city situated on a hill cannot be hidden no one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket but rather on a lampstand and it gives light for all who are in the house here's what he is really talking about in the same way let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father in Heaven. And so we bring glory and honor to God by how we live our lives, living an upright life, a righteous life that falls or that God is bringing us into alignment with his written word. As we live a spirit-filled life, God will write his word upon our hearts. He will make it our desire. He will give us understanding about what and why, and he'll help us to desire it. That's the significance of him writing his word on our heart. And in doing so, as Jesus said towards the end of this short passage, it says, so that they may see your good works and give glory to, Your father in heaven. Now, the apostle Peter, he also talks about this, or he takes Jesus' teaching and he is applying it and teaching some Christians who are being persecuted for their faith, who are being mistreated for their faith in the Lord Jesus, in contrast, probably to the many pagan and multiple gods that they previously worship. When you become a Christian, you begin to be devoted to the one God of the nation of Israel who he furthered his work from being solely honored by the nation of Israel to drawing people from all nations unto himself. Those nations continue to remain as those nations. And in this age, they, if they so choose, they stay devoted to their traditional deity. But God draws people from every nation, from every ethnicity, from every tribe to himself. At least he tries, and it is up to us to respond. But here, Peter is encouraging some Christians that are being mistreated being persecuted for their faith. And this is what he says in, the, in his first letter, chapter two, verse 11, it says, Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and temporary residents to abstain from fleshly desires that war against you. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that in a case where they speak against you as those who do what is evil, they will, by observing your good works, glorify God on the day of visitation. So here the Apostle Peter, who Jesus appointed, handpicked, you can check out places like Matthew chapter 10 or Acts chapter 1 or Matthew chapter 16, 17. Here the Apostle Peter, he is saying, yeah, people are mistreating you. People are slandering you because of what you believe now. But he says, they will, by observing your good works, glorify God. On the day of visitation how you live is a major way for god to work in the world you are his witness as a spirit-filled believer you are his witness to the world around you to the world around me to the world around us we are his witnesses this is one way working with god 101 and then later on in his letter and talking about a similar topic he says but honor the messiah as lord as master in your heart. So you have to allow the Lord to help you to understand the the whole servant master dichotomy situation. It says but honor the Messiah as Lord in your heart. Always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Your life speaks volumes. Your life is a beacon to those around you of what is going to take place in the future and how good God really is and what he what his nature is like what his character is like verse 16 however do this with gentleness and respect keeping your conscience clear so that when you are accused those who denounce your christian life will be put to shame and so although we can struggle at times and even living a spiritual life you are fighting with your own human desires the desires of your body And you can check out the previous video in this series to kind of get a breakdown of that struggle, uh, God's antidote to sin, when we are living a spirit filled life, that we have at least five benefits that we partake of in living a spirit filled life, we have a direct relationship with and to God as now one of his adopted children, we get to gain understanding from God as he helps us to understand his written word by him revealing it to our minds by our born again spirit our reborn spirit by his spirit we are strengthened by god through all the hardships and hard frustrating situations that we go through he helps us with our endurance he helps us with our patience and he helps us with our joy god also is able to help us to mature and to grow into spiritual maturity by which we are measured by the person of Jesus Christ and his spiritual maturity. And number five, we are able to work even closer hand in hand with God as he transforms our lives, working with God one on one. Now, if you got anything out of this video and episode, I ask that you would give it a thumbs up, subscribe to the YouTube channel, or follow me on the audio podcast if this is where you're checking it out. But in the second part to this video, we're going to talk about how, what are the practical things that you can do to live a spirit-filled life. And if you have not, or if you're not sure if you've been spirit-filled, if you're here on YouTube, I'm going to point you to this video right here. And if you're listening on the podcast, I'll leave it down below, how, what it means to be born again of the spirit. And until that video, or until the next video of this series, God bless you. In Jesus name.